You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All righty, everyone, here we go again. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm Dan Johnson, and this podcast is brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, like the announcer said at the beginning of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I tell you what, I woke up this morning, today's Sunday when I edit this, and I woke up and I felt rejuvenated. I got a little bit more sleep than normal, uh, and that it's because my kids are at their grandparents and my other kid is sleeping and my wife got up early and she went to the grocery store so here I am trying to knock out my work so I can spend some time with the family the rest of the day but I I woke up I had a lot more energy and I had this really positive attitude and I said to myself what can I do to make a difference as far as conservation is concerned and I said you know what I want to raise some money similar to what we did with the whole Nine Finger Chronicles t-shirt thing a while back, but I want to do it on a greater level. And I, I said to myself, I'm going to make a commitment to myself that I want to be responsible in some way, shape, or form to help raise money for conservation efforts. I don't know what organization yet I want to work with. I just know that I want to help make a difference. And this is a, I guess, a call out to all of the listeners of this podcast. I want your help too. And I know I've mentioned that in the past that I want to do something big. And this is what I want to do. I want to raise money, cash money for a conservation effort that's out there, whether that's the National Deer Alliance, whether that's the QDMA, whether that's the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the National Wild Turkey Federation. I want to raise money and give it directly to an organization, a conservation organization, and I want them to tell us what they're going to do with that money. And I I want your help. So over this next month, because I don't want to start it until 2018, 
January, February, some point. I want us to bounce ideas off of each other, right? The Nine Finger Nation. I, I want us to work together to try to find an organization, have open discussions about what organization we should help support. And then I want us as a united front, not just me, Dan Johnson, but all of us to work together to help raise money and give it to conservation. That's what I want to do. And at this point, I'm an open book. I want to I want to hear what you guys have to say. I want to work together to to plan this, organize it, and then I want to I want to explode it. I just want to blow it up on social media and I want your help to do it. I want us to do this together and I think that's how all conservation should work, right? It can't just be one person running the show, right? We as a united front have to do something, especially in today's uh, environment where we are losing access to hunting ground. We are having certain rights taken away from us and it just gets harder and harder to introduce new people into hunting because of either laws or lack of access or losing ground. You know, I want to change that and I want us to work together to do that. So a lot more information is going to come down the pipe. I posted something on Facebook, uh, a post on uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page. I want you to go there and I want you to comment on it and I want you guys to leave your your ideas, your opinions on there, and uh, hopefully we can uh, come up with something so that at the beginning of 2018, we can release the hounds and start raising some money. And I don't mean a little bit of money like what we did last time. I think last time uh, with the Nine Finger Chronicles t-shirt, we, what did we do? We raised somewhere around 1500 to $1,700, I think it was, just on the sale of those t-shirts. I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars. I want to be ambitious with this, and I need your help. Um, So I've said my piece. Now I am going to rely on you guys a little bit uh, in the near future. So keep an ear out for that. Go voice your opinion on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page, and let's... uh, Let's make it rain on conservation. I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I I would love to take thousands of dollars of cash and throw it in the air and just let it land on conservation. So so I know that's weird and crazy, but I, I just I feel really positive today, and it's something that I'm going to commit myself to for 2018, and I need your help. Now, today's podcast, man, we're going to be talking with a returning guest, Levi Rosentreader. And dude, this guy's on a roll. The last three years, he has killed mature bucks in Illinois, and he's done it on a family farm. Uh, and he talks today a little bit about the buck that he harvested this year. But then we get into a discussion about learning experiences, what he's learned from hunting how he's made mistakes, how he's learned from those mistakes, and how it's kind of, I guess, guided him, like rounded him, molded him into the hunter that he is today. Uh, In this discussion, he talks about having an encounter uh, with a very, very big deer, one of the biggest deer he's ever seen, and uh, he talks about how he messed up on it and uh, how that particular encounter led him guided him to the hunter that he is today so uh be sure to listen to this podcast all the way through man it's a really kick-ass podcast last but not least man shout out to gearhead archery and dude i've killed two deer with 
that bow, my, my T30 this year. And I'm telling you right now, if you get the opportunity to shoot a gearhead bow, do it. Don't let the looks of this bow deceive you. It is made in America. It is machined in a machine shop. Uh, it's a small company, so a lot of attention goes to the details of how these bows are manufactured, and it will blow your mind when you actually shoot it, uh, like my mind was blown when I shot it for the first time, because I thought it was a gimmick. So please, 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 please go shoot a gearhead bow. Go visit their website, gearheadarchery.com, and uh, call them up. Ask them where their their dealers are. Ask them what the closest dealer is. It's that time of year when we start getting into a lot of these uh, these deer classics and trade shows and stuff like that. So find one, go to it. For example, the Iowa Deer Classic, the Wisconsin uh, Deer Classic, the Illinois Deer and Turkey, I think Classic. I'm not sure what the names of them are, but the gearhead guys are going to be in a lot of those. Uh, and uh, so go shoot those bows and then buy one and tell them Dan Johnson told you to. So, <laughs> all right, enough of the talk. Let's get into today's podcast with returning guest, Levi Rosentretter. Mr. Levi Rosentretter, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, it's only 8.30 in the morning. This It's very rare that I record uh, a morning podcast, but I've been up since about, oh, quarter to five, five o'clock with kids jumping on me. So it's <laughs> almost, I, I know it's 8.30 in the morning, but I'm ready for a nap. Yeah, I don't blame you. And the, here's the good thing, though. Uh, I'm shipping two of my three kids off to the grandparents today, so I might actually get a nap in. Well, you need to get out in the stand, it sounds like. Yeah, it's it's shotgun season here in Iowa. It's opening day for shotgun season here in Iowa, and uh, I've I've never, I mean, I've shotgun hunted before, but I've never really gotten into it as much as, you know, um, we all are freaks about bow hunting. Do you do any gun hunting? Um, I used to gun hunt, but I haven't probably picked up a gun in at least six or seven years. I'm kind of right there with you. Yeah, yeah. Which it's actually it's actually second second shotgun season here in Illinois this weekend, so I'm not hunting either. Yeah, yep. So I got a I got some honey do lists stuff I got to take care of. I got uh, some podcast and network stuff I got to take care of, and. I think uh, with the kids out of the picture, two of them anyway, uh, I might get an opportunity to at least get some stuff done today. So I think I'm going to take full advantage of that. But on, but on, uh, oh man, this was like November 14th. I got a message from you, and you laid down right. another stud buck um, in Illinois, and you're on like a roll now, aren't you? It's a three years in a row, I think, for good for good deer. Yeah, Three years in a row now. I can't complain one bit. Right, absolutely. So, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, but uh, I think on this episode, I want to talk to you a little bit more about maybe some of your hunting strategy. I want to talk to you a little bit more about um, maybe some mistakes that you've made um, in your hunting career and, uh, and, and what you know, when you went to fix those mistakes, what that led to. Um, so we'll talk about that, but remind everybody again, this is your what third time on the, on the podcast. Yep. Third time. 
Okay, third time. So you're in the you're in the three timers club. That's a very rare club, man. You should be honored. <laughs> oh, I am honored. <laughs> um. So, tell everybody where do you live and uh, what do you uh, do for a living? Uh, yeah, I live in Illinois, Central Illinois. Um, I'm a correctional officer. That's my day job. Um, my family farms. You know, I help them on the farm and. You know, I'm doing doing things there every chance I get. Um, yeah, I just any chance I can get out in the deer woods, you know, that's that's what I love to do. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's see here. You are a correctional officer. I got a buddy who's a correctional officer. He he likes his job because of the way the the time frame and how his shifts like i think he's on some kind of a a swing shift i think you would call it is that the same with you and do you have this job because of hunting like for hunting reasons uh well no i work actually afternoon shifts so i work 3 p.m to 11 p.m which actually works out well for morning hunts um but the great thing about the job and this isn't why i took the job but one of the perks is I, I earn a lot of time off, so okay. I can take two or three weeks vacation in November, and you know, like I said, when I'm not on vacation, I can still hunt pretty much any morning I'd like, so it works out pretty well for hunting. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I'm in one of those corporate jobs where you know you start off with two or three weeks vacation, and then I've worked there for seven years now, so I'm up to roughly five weeks vacation and I can dedicate two of that maybe three of that to uh hunting and other activities and then the other two weeks I can dedicate to the family so that's uh that's a a benefit you know as opposed to some of these guys who you know either own their own business or maybe like construction workers where they may after 20 years get two weeks off you know what I mean right right yeah that's nice having five weeks because then you don't have to commit all your vacation to hunting season. I know I catch a lot of grief, a lot of grief for that, but all right. <laughs> you so think after you think, after, you, I'm sorry. You think after five years, you know, she'd figure out that's the way it's going to be, but yeah, well, you know, it's always, it's, you know, hunting is not just like learning experiences in the, uh, in the field, but also at home, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you got to know when you can ask and when you, you know, you got to pick that time when you tell them, all right, well, I'm taking two <laughs> weeks off here. And, and then, yeah, you know, I've been married for almost five years too. And, well, I think five years. Yeah. This April, this April will be five years, I think, six years. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But, but, uh, <laughs> I still have those conversations every year where it's like, well, how how long are you going to be gone? Uh, the exact same as last year, you know, two weeks. Right, right. Coming right. to hunt weekends and, and all that stuff. But oh, you shot a giant buck, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and, and some of your hunting strategies over the years. But uh, the buck that you shot this year, um, you mentioned before we started recording that th- it was a buck that you had no history with, right? Right. Okay. So going into this season. Um, not knowing the buck that you ended up shooting, but did you have a hit list put together of um, deer that you were looking forward to, uh, you know, chasing, or um, or are you kind of uh, I, I'm going to just go into the farm and see what happens, kind of guy? 
Well, I'm telling you, it's, it was kind of a strange year. Um, the last two years, I actually had a pretty good hit list lined up going into the season. And I start running my trail cameras about July. Yeah. And for whatever reason this year, I just was not getting, you know, any mature bucks, what I would consider mature um, on camera. So I really didn't have a buck in mind that I was going after. Um, my fiance's family, they own property about an hour and a half away. So I ran a couple of cameras up there and there's some really good bucks up there, but I knew I wasn't going to spend much time hunting just because it was so far away. So I was focusing on my main property and, you know, I was basically just hoping something would show up during the rut because like I said, I didn't have, didn't have anything real exciting on camera going in. Right. Right. So do, do you have on this farm that you hunt, uh, is it just like a full fledged farming operation or do you get to plant food plots and do some timber stand improvement and, uh, habitat improvements as well? Oh uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a working farm, um, mostly ag. Um, but there is quite a bit of timber and, you know, I can do pretty much whatever I want on the property, you know, as long as you know, I don't go crazy. You know, if I need a half acre, acre for a food plot, you know, I have a little bit of leeway to where I can do that. And I actually, I do have a, a food plot this year that's probably an acre and a half. And that's actually where I ended up harvesting this buck this year. All right. What was it over? Um, it was Whitetail Institute Ambush. This is actually the second year I've planted it, which is just a fall blend. But I'm yeah. telling you what, the deer absolutely love it. Nice. Nice. So, so going into this season, you really didn't have, you know, any hit lists really put together because it sounds like your trail cameras weren't, uh, weren't telling you much. Now, do you, what are some of the reasonings behind that? And I'll give you an example. On a couple of my farms, this year, what, my farm was loaded with mature bucks. Next year... If, if, if history, you know, repeats itself, it will be, there will be less mature bucks, maybe one mature buck that sticks around. And I think a lot of that has to do with a, if the acorns drop and B on crop rotation, do you think any of those played a role in, uh, what your farm was holding this year? Um, yeah, I definitely see, um, a correlation between the crop rotations, um, now, last year, I had a lot of two- and three-year-olds on camera, and so, I mean, I actually had high hopes going into the year, you know, hoping some of them three-year-olds would stick around, but for whatever reason, it seems like that always happens. I get a bunch of three-year-olds on camera, and then maybe one or two will stick around, and then the others just kind of disperse and go somewhere else. But, you know, last year, I shot a nice buck off the property, and two of the other bucks that were on my hit list were killed by neighbors. And then I found two absolute monsters dead while I was shed hunting off the property. So, wow. I mean, my property kind of took a hit as far as mature bucks last year. Yeah. What, what do you think uh, killed those dead deadheads that you found? You know, one of them was, uh, he was only about 150 yards from a road. So he may have been hit by a vehicle. The other one, you know, I'd been chasing him for three years. He was, probably seven and a half years old so i don't know if old age caught up with him or if you know he might have got hit by another hunter i'm not sure right right 
So what about EHD uh, or anything like that? Did you, do you, did your area get affected by, uh, by that or maybe some of that drought that we had this summer? Um, EHD didn't, I knock on wood, but I don't believe it affected my property at all this year. Um, which I was worried about it. I really was, but, um, yeah, so far from what I can tell, the population's good. And, you know, most, the most of the bucks that, you know, albeit they two and three year olds, you know, I got on camera during the summer, you know, I've seen them already this year. So I think I survived the EHD scare this year. Right. Right. man excuse me so you know with with these deer you know your your trail cameras weren't showing anything that you're typically used to hunting what was going through your mind at that point um you know because a lot of guys will say you know oh man what am i going to shoot i mean does that change your uh does that change what you're you would would be willing to shoot if you weren't you know if none of these bigger bucks more mature bucks uh, showed up on the farm. I mean, were you willing to shoot a, one of those, these three-year-olds? No, I was staying with my standards. You know, I was holding yeah. out for a mature buck. Um, and I know how the property, I know every year new bucks show up. So, I mean, I right. wasn't completely hopeless and gotcha. I had my, like I said, my fiance's family's property on the back burner. So I knew I could go up there and at least there was mature bucks up there that I knew of. So I wasn't too concerned, you know, I was just kind of winging it and, you know, seeing what happened. So did any mature bucks between July and the time you started hunting, uh, maybe even going into November, show up on your farm? Uh, Yeah, actually, I I did catch one four-year-old, and I know he's a four-year-old because I got, got his picture last year on the property. I did catch him on camera in middle of October and actually had an encounter with him on Halloween morning at 40 yards and he was, uh, locked down with a doe, but that was kind of an interesting hunt there, but I didn't end up getting a shot at him. But so Halloween morning, I did have an encounter with a shooter. Right. All right. So here, here's where I'm going to, uh, provide you with another example of the farm that I hunt. Cause it sounds to me like, um, high level the farm is the same or the farms are similar you know it's an ag type of property with a good chunk of timber uh, that runs through it um, and you know the crops get harvested and whatnot so during the summer months you know somewhere around july august when the crops start to become edible for the deer they just pack into this farm and i get awesome trail camp pictures right you know several mature deer um several big antler deer you know gets a guy's mouth watering and yeah i've seen the i've seen the pictures yeah (laughs) you got some nice ones right so then so then something happens around september where there's a shift and the crops start to dry out they become less palatable um this year i think a lot of them stuck around because of the acorn drop but Mm -hmm. when those crops come out then there's another shift. So if there are any big bucks that stick around, the crops come out and there's another smaller shift and like core areas change a lot during that September, October month. Do you, 
witness any type of core area changes uh, as far as your bucks are concerned? Yeah, absolutely. I <clears throat> I agree with everything you said there, um, especially with the crops coming out. You know, if I'm getting a buck on camera and kind of have his core area narrowed down, it seems once some crops come out, his core area just expands, which he won't leave. He won't leave, you know, the spot where I was getting him, but he will expand his core area, you know, from what I can tell. Right. I'll be getting, I'll end up getting him on cameras, you know, quarter, half mile away that I'd never had him on camera there before. Right. So I have noticed that myself too. So are the times between trail camera pictures, let's say for that particular buck, uh, there's more time between days that he's captured on trail camera because he's expanding his range? Yep, for sure. Okay. Gotcha. Now, I want to get into this particular buck that you shot this year before we um, change uh, change topics and kind of go back a little ways. But as far as this buck that you shot this year, talk to me about the stand location in this food plot that you planted, why you planted it there, why this stand was so good. Um, you know, was it, uh, was it new this year? Was it a good historic stand where you've had, you've sat in that stand several times throughout the years. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, this food plot here, it actually used to be just a finger of the field. And like I said, it's about an acre and a half. Um, and, when I first started hunting, you know, I hung a stand in the corner of this field and, you know, saw a lot of good deer movement in there. And then once I, uh, started playing around with food plots, probably about six, six years ago, I'd say, um, I asked dad, Hey dad, you know, if I, you care if I just turn this part of the field into a food plot, he said, yeah, no, go ahead. And ever since then I've been planting, you know, a food plot here and it took a little bit of uh, I guess you'd say experimenting with <clears throat> stand location because uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of good trees where you can put a stand, but it's a long narrow plot. And you know, over the years, I kind of just based on observed deer movement and where you know it looked like most of the deer would come by. You know, I moved moved the stand a couple times. You know, to kind of key in on that and. You know, I think I got it in the best possible spot now, and I got good access going in. Um, you know, with any food plot, though, you're always worried about blowing deer off, leaving. Um, but I'm right behind, right behind my dad's house, and luckily he'll come down and blow deer off the field whenever I'm getting down. So okay. I've been doing that this year, and you know, every single time I've gone in into this uh, spot, I've had deer just piling into the field all night long so yeah you know i've i mean it's obviously working i haven't blown anything out of there right so you mentioned it's some kind of fall blend when when are you planning it and have you had any um over the years deer because sometimes if a deer find these deer find the food plot especially if the the plot is small enough where they overeat, you know, they over browse it and it can kill the food plot. Did you have mm -hmm. any type of experience or, uh, did that happen at all? Um, no, I, uh, in this blend is brassicas okay. and as you know, brassicas, there's a lot of forage there. So, I mean, it could sustain the pressure, the feeding pressure. Um, 
but speaking of the brassicas, the first time I planted the brassicas, um, I was like, man, the deer, they just don't want any part of this. They walk right through the brassicas to get to clover or something else. And, you know, everyone I talked to said, you know, it takes them a couple years to really develop a taste for it. And, you know, I'm actually, I'm seeing that now. They absolutely yeah. love them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what, uh, I had a, a friend who planted brassicas for the first time this year. And he said the same exact thing that you did. Uh, this is his first year planting them. And he said, they have not touched them yet. And th- and here in Iowa, we've had several frosts already, frosty mornings, you know, to, t- to change that chemical composition of, uh, to make them go from bitter to sweet, uh, supposedly. Right. So um, who knows? Maybe it'll take a couple more years. Maybe it won't. Now, access to this stand location where you shot your buck are you walking through the food plot or do you have an alternate route uh, to get in there where, you know, if there are deer on the plot already, you're not spooking them off? Yeah, I actually have, it's a little path that used to be used for farm equipment that comes right down the food plot and I can get right in my stand without even stepping foot into the food plot. That's another great thing about the stand location. Right. So it sounds like, you know, the deer were hitting it and I take it you have a trail camera over over that? Yeah, I got a couple trail cameras on the plot. Okay. So what were your trail cameras on that specific food plot telling you throughout the hunting season? Well, this spot here, um, it's kind of funny. I every year the best bucks that I get on camera all year are in my food plot. However, as with most food plots, most of the activities at night, um, I usually set one camera up on a scrape. It's a, you know, it's there every year. Um, and every deer in the area will hit this scrape at some point. And then I have another camera that I set up basically in uh, field scan mode, you know, just the last couple hours of daylight, just to get an idea of what's coming out at night. Right. Um, but this part of, my property it's it's kind of a separate piece because it's behind my mom and dad's house it's not actually a part of our main farm and you know it's only about 60 acres and there's a lot of a lot of timber all around me so i'll get a lot of bucks come in um but that doesn't mean that they're living on the property and but the good thing about it is you never know what might come out in the food plot you know it's you can draw in neighbor bucks too so i did have I did have a couple, couple real good bucks on camera down there, but unless I get them in daylight or get them, you know, multiple times a week, I don't get too excited whenever I see that down there. Right, right. So you you said before we started recording, you had no history with this buck, but did you have any trail cameras, uh, pictures of this buck before you uh, before you shot him? You know, I was going through some old pictures, and I, I had a couple pictures. You know, they were a little bit away from the camera that, you know, might have been him. I can't say for sure that it was. Right. Um, I need to go through my photos from last year and see if I had any pictures of him from last year. But as far as I know, I didn't have any history with him. Gotcha. Okay. So walk us through the day. Uh, was this a morning hunt or an evening hunt? Uh, evening hunt. An evening hunt. So walk us through that day. Tell us uh, what you saw before he popped up and, um, you know, basically uh, got an arrow from you. 
Yeah. Um, well, the funny thing is I wasn't even planning on hunting this spot that night and it was, uh, November 12th and I had another spot. It was a cut cornfield and the deer had just been piling out in this field and that's where I was planning on going to hunt that night. And I actually pulled into my parking spot and walked, you know, starting to walk in. And I noticed that my uncle had dissed the field, uh, that morning. And I didn't realize that. So I was like, well, you know, that kind of screws my plans here. I got to go somewhere. So I was like, you know what? I got the right wind to go hunt my food plot. I know I'm going to see deer there. You know, I might get a buck come in checking for does. So it wasn't really, I mean, that wasn't even where I was planning on going that night, but I ended up setting up and, um, uh, I'd say the first deer, first deer to come into the field, I had a couple does come in about three thirty in the afternoon and you know, that's not uncommon for that spot. And I right. was just watching them and I heard a couple grunts and so I'm, you know, grabbing my bow cause you never know what it could be this time of year. And it was a little basket rack came in and he was just kind of bumping these does around. He put on a pretty good show for me and he ended up, well, all, all of the deer ended up leaving the field. You know, they kind of come in and out all night long. Um, but they ended up leaving the field and it was probably, Oh, I don't know, four fifteen. I hear something across from me. And like I said, it's real narrow food plot. So I can shoot, just about the entire all the way across it's about 50 yards to the other side um and i hear something something coming up straight across from me and that's the direction them deer ran so i'm thinking it's probably one of them coming back into the field and all of a sudden i see him and he's 50 yards right in front of me facing me and he comes straight out into the plot and just kind of takes a couple bites of food and looks around and, you know, I was ready. I was ready for him to come right in. Everything was working out perfect. I had the right wind. Um, but he just turned around and walked directly away from me the way he came in. Yeah. And <clears throat> so by this time, it's probably about 4.30. And, you know, I'm still hopeful that it's early enough. He might come back out. Um, so I give it about 10 minutes. And I'm looking around, and I don't see anything. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'll just give him a couple grunts. Maybe he's close by. Maybe he'll spark his attention a little bit. So I gave him a couple grunts, waited another four or five minutes, didn't see him. And by this time it's starting to get fairly dark. So I'm like, you know what, I've never seen this bug before. I'm not really worried about spooking him too bad. I'm just going to give him a quick snort wheeze and see what happens. I don't even know how close he is at this point. He might be long gone, but I figured, you know what? It's worth a shot. So I give him a quick snort wheeze and within 30 seconds, he's coming back out into the plot, probably 80 yards away from me. Wow. Man, snort so, wheezes are awesome. I love, <laughs> I I don't know, like this year on my buck, I grunted just one little brap and he turned around and came in. But I've also, uh, my 2012 buck, I grunted at him, I rattled at him. He showed a little interest, but nothing, uh, you know, nothing too crazy. But I tell you what, if you catch the right buck in the right mood and use a snort wheeze, I tell you what, that can be a 
like an absolutely awesome strategy. Absolutely, man. I I don't use it very often at all. I mean, it's kind of a last resort for me. Yeah. Um, but the way the hunt was playing out, and I I didn't think I had anything to lose, and sure enough, I mean, it worked like a charm. Yeah, yeah. So he popped up and did his body language was was it changed at all uh, from the first time that you saw him? Oh yeah, you could tell he was pissed. Um, he was coming straight for me and i don't know if you want me to get into yeah. the actual shot or not yet okay yeah, do it go right yeah, into he was, it he was coming straight for me he was looking for that other buck and like i said you could tell he was he was pissed off pawing pawing at the ground but you know his head he was looking he was on <clears throat> and that actually plays into the shot itself because he was on high alert and he ended up coming in I got him about 25 yards, and he was right in front of me. Uh, I thought he was perfectly broadside, but it turns out he was probably quartering a little bit, quartering away. Um, but he was perfect right in my shooting lane. And every deer I've ever shot with a bow, I've always stopped him. Yeah. And for whatever reason, <laughs> after the shot, I was kept playing it over my head, and I was like, what was I thinking? But for whatever reason, my gut just told me, do not try to stop this deer because he's already on high alert. Yeah. So I shot him while he was walking, which that's a shot that I don't practice. I mean, yeah. it's hard, it's hard to practice a shot like that anyway, but, um, I hit him back and I knew I hit him back and I just felt completely sick after the yeah. shot. How far back? Uh, well, I thought I had guts for sure. I was thinking it was a gut shot. Um, I hit him, and he ran off pretty hard, and he hit the, ran into that timber on the other side of the food plot, and I heard him run a little ways, and then I didn't hear him anymore. And so I'm sure he just ran to cover and then kind of stopped to kind of assess the situation. Yeah. Um, but I knew, I knew it was a gut shot as soon as I let the arrow go. Um, so... I gave him about 20, 30 minutes. I left my bow, my pack, everything in the tree, and I got down and slipped, slipped out. I didn't even go check my arrow. Yeah. Um, so I knew I was coming back the next morning. Right. So you, you, you said you inst or uh, well, you instantly identified that it was a, a less than optimal shot. Um, based off of what you saw, you thought it was probably some guts cause it was far back. And then you yeah. just, you said, I'm not even going to attempt anything. I'm going right to the truck. Yep. Yep. yep I slipped. Luckily, he ran in the opposite direction of the truck. So I just slipped yep. right back out the back door. And like I said, I didn't even want to step in the plot to check my arrow. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> gotcha. Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's funny how, uh, you know, anytime your buddy calls you and tells you about a shot or asks you what to do, you can tell them exactly what to do. You know the right answer. Uh, but whenever you're the one that released the arrow, it's like you just forget everything you know. <laughs> I was calling I was calling all my buddies like, oh, this is where I hit him. What do you think? What do you th Like, I just wanted someone to tell me what I was already thinking, you know. Right. Go but, get him. Go get him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew that wasn't the move. But, yeah. yeah, it's funny how you just forget everything, you know. That's right. That's right. So... 
so did you end? You did end up waiting until the next morning to uh, to go get look for him. Yeah, I did, um, and I actually called the uh, tracking dog uh, that or that night after I shot the buck, and kind of told them about the hit and what they thought. Um, and I had the dog on standby in case I needed him the next morning. Yeah. So the plan was to go in, check the arrow, see what kind of track we got, and kind of just go from there yeah yeah so did um you know the the next morning came and you went to back to your stand did you see blood where you shot him did you find the arrow right away what was the story there yeah i have a lighted knock so i knew exactly where the arrow was at um passed through then found the air yes yeah. found the arrow checked it and you know, to my surprise, there was no guts on the arrow at all. I mean, it was just completely coated red. So I instantly thought, okay, maybe I, maybe I got liver, you know, maybe yep. I didn't hit as far back as I thought. And me and a buddy of mine, we, we started tracking him and where he ran into the timber, I had a, I had a good trail and where I, where I couldn't hear him anymore, wherever I stopped hearing him, he, uh, he must have just stood there for a while because there was blood everywhere and it yeah. looked like good dark liver blood. So at that point I was feeling, I mean, I was a hundred percent confident the deer was dead, yeah. you know, and I, I had not pushed him at all. My only concern was that coyotes may have got him up in the middle of the night. Cause there are several coyotes around there. Right. Right. But okay. so we're, <clears throat> so we're, uh, we're blood trailing this deer and blood starts to diminish a little bit. And, you know, I, uh, I told my buddy, I was like, you know, we could, we could probably stay on it, you know, but why not just call the dog, you know, let's just yeah. better safe than sorry. Um, so I ended up calling the dog out there and the dog took up the track and it, the deer was actually only like 60 yards from where me and my buddy had stopped. So we ended how up finding that, him. He actually, how much did that cost you just for my own knowledge um this one here he was only fifty dollars okay and obviously i gave him a tip and everything but um he's one of the cheaper ones but i've seen his dog work before and he just does it you know on the side a little bit extra money here and there likes to work with the dog and i mean it's it's amazing to see these dogs work i mean it really is this one here so we kind of knew where the blood trail went because we'd already been in there well the dog kept coming off the trail and i kept telling his handler i was like well we had blood up here so you know sometimes the dogs will get off the off the trail a little bit um he's like no just just trust the dog you know i was like all right you know well what was going on with the dog was trying to go straight to the deer the deer had circled around uh, and the dog set. knew where the yeah the dog knew where the deer was while we were still trying to follow blood you know yeah um, but no, the deer ended up dying. He was only probably 150 yards from where I shot him and he died gotcha. in his first bed. So, yeah. so where did you end up shooting him? Um, I believe I just got straight liver. Yeah. Yeah. So I I'll mean, tell you what, man, that's uh that's one of those shots where I shot my deer. I hit both lobes of the liver, uh, and, my initial reaction, just like yours, was, gosh darn it, you know, I just hit guts. And I was mm -hmm. waiting for him to take off. He didn't catch my scent or anything. You know, he was 
clueless that I was there. And luckily he only died. He only took like 20 steps from where it took him a little longer to die. Unfortunately, but you know, you're going to get that with a liver shot, but right. But I shot him and he just stood there hunched up and he started to walk. And I'm like, I can't do anything because if I spook him, he's going to take off and then I'll never find him. Cause I, I initially exactly. thought, thought it was guts, but then he ended up kind of circling back towards me and he only died 40, uh, you know, 40 yards from my stand. But I tell you what, that's uh that freaks a guy out a little bit when he, when he thinks he makes a, a bad shot, but it, you know, dude, liver hit liver shots, kill deer somewhat fast. Oh yeah. And you know, it was kind of, kind of a strange feeling when I shot him because you, you know, usually you shoot a buck and you, you lose control after that. And yeah, I didn't get any of that. I, you know, I didn't experience that real adrenaline dump. And I think it was just because I knew it was a bad hit on the deer. You know, I felt horrible, but one thing, I, I mean, I learned, I learned valuable lesson here is, you know, if you have a questionable shot, you know, give them time. Like you said, a liver shot, even a gut shot, that deer will die and you will find it as long as you don't push them. You know, that's, that's the key to it. And I talked to, talked to that guy with the dog and he said the same thing. He said his recovery rate on gut shot deer is almost 90%. Yeah. So I tell you what, man, I'd rather have, yeah, yeah. I I had a deer. I'd rather have that. Yeah. Yeah. I had a deer once where I, I hit him, Maybe a little liver, uh, but it was definitely a, a a back a back end shot. I probably hit guts. Um, never really found the arrow because he was quartering away from me, and the arrow didn't go all the way through. But I ended up not doing that, and I gave him about an hour and a half, two hours, because there was good blood at the initial like uh, twenty thirty yards initially. And I right. followed, I followed him for about 20, mm, no, I followed him for about 20 minutes, maybe 200 yards, bumped him on the next ridge over. And then I never saw him again and the blood mm. dried up and he was gone. So, yep. you know, that's definitely one of those lessons that, uh, everybody needs to learn. And that's just, if you don't feel comfortable with a shot, give it as much time as you possibly can. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd rather, I'm to the point now after seeing this, I would rather hit them back than, you know, hit that front shoulder, maybe yeah. a one lung hit. You know, I feel oh, like yeah. you got a lot better chance of recovering the deer that way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you found the deer, you walk up on him, you'd never seen him before. Uh, now that you found him, what was your uh, initial reaction when you put your hands on him? Well, it was kind of funny because even after I shot him, I had no idea what he was. You know, yeah. I got that first glimpse of him when he came in, and immediately I thought, shooter, and I didn't really get a good look at his rack because it was such a quick, you know, right? he was in and out so quick. Um, so then whenever he came back out, I already had in my head that he was a shooter, so I didn't even pay attention to his rack. And so I was, like I told my buddy, I said, you know, he could be 140, he could be 170, I don't know, but I said, I know that he's wide he's probably 20 inches inside and i said he's it looked like he had a lot of times that's all i know but he was a mature buck no question about it and i walked up on him and sure enough i mean he was he was a good 
good mature buck, um, 10 pointer. I think he had a kicker off one of his G twos and, but he had all kind all kinds of gnarly stuff around his bases. I mean, real, really unique rack. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So did you put a tape to him at all? I mean, what does he look like for the, you know, for the listener describe what he looks like and then, um, uh, you know, best guess at score if you, if you didn't tape him out and then how old do you think he was? Yeah, he, uh, he was just a, you know, mainframe 10 point. He had a small kicker off one of his G twos. Um, you know, pretty good brow times, real good bases. Um, I mean, he was just a clean, pretty buck. Like I said, 20 inches inside. I think he was, um, so he has pretty, had a pretty good spread on him. Um, as far as age, it's, it's hard to say. I, at least a four-year-old, possibly a five-year-old. Okay. Um, probably a four-year-old is what I'd say. Um, and me and my buddy, we, we just kind of did a quick tape job to him, which it was very unofficial, but we yeah. scored him at like 154. So, I mean, I'd say right around, right around 150 probably. All right. So here's my next question, and that is, so I'm looking at the picture of the buck you sent me, and then I'm scrolling through the Facebook messages that we've exchanged with each other. And last year, you found a shed, and it's a picture of, uh, you know, a five-point side. It looks like, it looks like it could possibly be that that buck. Do you think it could be? Oh, now I'm trying. Now you got me in- interested. I'm trying to remember which picture I sent you. There's a picture of this. Uh, like it's two. It's two. Uh, three pictures right one's on the ground one you're holding it and then the next one is a mountain dew can laid on its side uh, to show off the the the, um pedicle right no that's not the same deer that that was actually probably about two miles away from there yeah okay all right because from a distance from the trophy uh photo you sent me it looked like it could possibly be that that buck yeah yeah, he, awesome. he's got kind of junk around his bases like that, too. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. but no, that's not the same deer. Cool, cool. So, for well, congratulations, right? Um, oh, thank you. That's awesome, dude. It sounds like you're on a roll and you, you've got stuff figured out and you're, uh, you know, you're able to, you know, confidently go after these deer and, you know, harvest one. And that's that's definitely a good feeling. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's all you can ask for is just to have an opportunity to, you know, yeah. mature buck. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough the last three years to actually harvest a mature buck. So yeah, I'm just going to try to keep the luck rolling into next year, I guess. Yep. Absolutely. Now we did at the beginning of this show, say we were going to talk about some of the stuff that you've learned over the years. And that's definitely what I want to, um, talk about now. So straight up, what are, over your hunting career, you know, we all learn these lessons that, you know, it sucks initially because you, it's typically on a deer you want to kill, but then over Mm -hmm. the years, it helps you either put yourself in a better position or how to deal with a big buck when it's right in front of you. What have you learned over the years that have, I guess, made you a better hunter from either a strategy standpoint or like an execution standpoint? Well, I tell you what, if I had, and I'm sure you're the same way, but if I have 
if I had every buck on the wall that I've screwed up on, I'd have to build a new room on my house. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, uh, I'll never forget the first, and I hear you talk to guys about like, when did you catch the bug, you know? Yeah. And for me, I know exactly when it was. And I was, oh, I can't tell you how old I was. I was probably 18. Um, but it was only like my first or, or it was like my second year of bow hunting. And I'd killed a, I've killed a doe with my bow by this time, but I never kill a buck with my bow. And at this point in my hunting, hunting career, like I did not know what I was doing, especially bow hunting. I was brand new to it. Um, everything I knew is just things that I'd seen on TV. And my dad, like I said, my dad, or I think I said in a previous podcast, my dad was never a big hunter. You know, he shotgun hunted basically just to get me into it because he knew that I was interested in it. Um, but I, as far as bow hunting, everything I learned, you know, I just kind of taught myself and learned through magazines and TV and movies and things like that. But the first, and it was one of my first hunts of the year that year. Um, and ironically enough, like I was actually hunting the food plot, which is my food plot now, which it wasn't a food plot then it was just a field, but that's a stand that I was hunting. So, I mean, that's kind of a special spot for me anyway, but I had, and I kid you not, Dan, this is the biggest buck that I've ever seen on the hoof at 15 yards and I don't even want to throw a score out there, but I mean, he was way up there yeah. and he was 15 yards walking away from me, slightly quartering away. And I was drawn back on him and I didn't know how to stop him. Yeah. I didn't know about stopping deer. So I just let him walk out of my life never to see him again. And this was before trail cameras, you know? So at that point I was like, wow this I got the shakes just from that encounter. I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, this is, I want to chase big bucks. Like that's what, that's where it's at. And so from that point forward, you know, I just kind of immersed myself in everything whitetail hunting, you know, anything I could read, anything I could watch. Um, I was trying to learn everything that I could just be a sponge and, You know, it's funny, like, when I first started, I I didn't know about playing the wind. You know, things you take for granted, it's just yeah. common knowledge. You know, I just go and set up where I thought it was a good spot, you know. And yep. over the years, I've learned, you know, I started playing the wind, and then I noticed I was seeing more deer. I was seeing better deer when I was playing the wind. Um, it seems like every year, I kind of, I learn a little bit more, but, you know, recently... And you talk about like the last three years I've been successful, um, within the last three or four years, I bet you that I've probably hunted half as much and scouted twice as much as I used to. Absolutely. Um, you know, I pretty much, I pretty much stay out until like the last week of October, unless I get an early October cold front. Um, but that's when I really start hitting it hard is like that last four or five days in October, um, But the other thing is the best thing, one of the best things that I could recommend to anyone, you know, if you have the option, if you have enough property where you can do it, I only hunt like the outside 40% of my property, the inside 60%, I leave to the deer. I don't even step foot in there unless I'm shed hunting. 
Um, and as far as trail cameras, you know, I used to set trail cameras up. I used to go in the timber, find a good trail in the timber, set a trail camera up and not even think about, you know, disturbing deer. Now, every trail cam I have, you know, I can almost drive right to it. I'm the farthest I'll put a trail camera in the timber is probably 50 yards. So, I mean, so I've just kind of lowered my impact on the deer herd. Um, it's, I mean, it seemed to work. I mean, I, the other thing is access, you know, I never used to pay attention to access and that's a game changer right there. You know, once I started figuring out the access deal, uh, that's when I've really seen my, my results turn. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, you just named some things that I some, you know, like I, I mostly agree with, man. I, I tell you what, one thing that I do though is I'll put trail cameras up September-ish on some of these main trails. Uh, so my impact is just one time. I go in, you know, just one time, but I won't right. check it. I won't check it until I either harvest a deer or I, or the season's over. So it's there yeah. collecting the intel. It's just not, you know, I'm, there's no pressure cause I'm not checking them throughout the, throughout the season. But, you know, right. the other thing is, is I get what you say about the, the 40%. And when you think about it, that's where most of the deer movement is on properties anyway. Uh, let's just take, a, mm-hmm. you know, something similar to what we have. Um, I know, I know all properties are different, but especially when you're playing with timber a little bit, they're going to be in for the most part, a little ways. They're not going to be bedded right on the field edge. You know, there are expectations or um, there are examples of that though. But, um, Mm -hmm. but from, you know, from what I see is they're not right on the field edge. Uh, And I, I go in, 50 some yards off the field edge and that's where I have most of my encounters with but I'm not going any far past that because then you're starting to get into some bedding areas and unless you're going in there for a morning hunt it's almost like you're you're just going to do more harm than good no I agree 100 percent yeah uh I'm not big on hunting field edges but like I said I don't like to be I don't like to be in too far I'm still within probably 50 to 100 yards of a field edge almost oh, yeah. every time I hunt. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. I mean, that's the same That's the same thing with me. Um, now, you've lowered the impact on your deer herd. Um, you've learned, you know, through reading. And I hear a lot of guys say that, you know, I caught the bug and then I wanted to immerse myself and, and educate myself on it, you know, with as much deer hunting content as possible. What were some of the, um, things that you've read that you've, that you ended up ultimately implementing onto your hunting strategy? Well, like I said, the first, first thing and at the time, this was the big game changer and that was the wind. You know, I didn't know what it meant to hunt the wind. You know, I couldn't figure out, well, how do I know where this deer is going to be coming from to even, play the wind you know i mean i was complete that's how green i was at the time but you know i started reading about that and implementing that and you know now i'm even trying to take it a step further and you know like you've talked about is try to figure out how the buck's going to play the wind you know which that's that takes some 
that takes some practice to figure out, you know, to find those spots where you can actually take advantage of that. But, you know, I'm trying to, trying to learn that now. And, um, well, the crazy thing about that, the the crazy thing about that though, is I feel like deer, uh, a mature buck, although he can have a pattern, he's not doing, he doesn't do things the exact same time every time you know there's always something just a little bit different he does do, are, are you right. do you see stuff like that as well oh yeah all the time you know it's funny like before before i heard of heard of this you know give the buck the win that theory before i'd even heard of that you know i started thinking well i went back and thought about some of the bucks i've killed and you know i was thinking about you know, I shot this buck. The wind wasn't even right for the stand whenever I shot this buck, but I don't know. I must have just got lucky. Well, no, what it was was I accidentally set up in one of those spots where I could take advantage of the wind, and the buck still thought he had the wind, Yeah. you know, and it just happened to work out, but it was completely unintentional. But, you know, I went back and started thinking about situations like that, and, you know, sure enough, it, I mean, it is, there's something to it for sure. Man, I, and then it's, are you an overthinker ever? Do you ever oh, overthink 100%. what stand location? <laughs> Dan, I've gone, I, I've been in my truck and I got about a 20 minute drive to my property and I've been in my truck and had no idea what stand I was even going to that morning. Right. And I'd, I'd be, I'd go past the spot and be like, uh, I guess I'm not going to that spot. <laughs> oh, you know, just no idea. But, oh yeah, I've, I struggle with that. Man, that's something that I I wish I could do better at. But I think that's just a personality thing because I know guys who they're – I'm going to put them in an anal retentive category where they know exactly what stand they're going to go to on every win. But for me, it's it's last minute. It's almost like – Almost like a gut feeling. Yeah. And (laughs) – just like you, man, I've I got a farm where I have to go through three gates to get to a couple stand locations. So I've had times where I've gone through these three gates, and that means get out of my truck, truck, open the gate, <laughs> drive through it, get out of my truck, close the gate, go to the next one. Where I've had to turn around, go back through all three gates because <laughs> at the last second I wanted to go hunt a different, you know, a different uh, stand. So it's it, it yep. sucks. I wish I I wish I didn't think like that at times. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. It's just, like I said, I, I think it's just more of a gut feeling. Like I'll wake right. up in the morning and I'll be like, you know what, this spot, I just feel good about it. And, right. Right. you know, sometimes it works out. Most of the time it doesn't, but you know, that's why we hunt. Right. So but I, I'd like, go ahead, go ahead. Um, oh, I just wanted to bring, I was just going to bring up, uh, another thing that I've, started doing this year is i i started trying to uh do a little more run and gun hunting this year yeah um i'd never really played with that too much before this year and you know listening to your podcast podcast uh i went out and bought a lone wolf stand and climb or stand and sticks and you know i bet you probably half my hunts this year i did run and gun and i'm still i'm still learning i'm still learning you know my own system as far as setting up, um, but it seems like every time I go out, it gets a little bit easier. I get a little bit quicker at it. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to kind of playing with that more next year and 
yeah. seeing how that goes. Yeah, I tell you what, um, I recently posted a, a a post, I guess, on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page, you know, about Q and A, uh, and some guy brought up the fact that you know I hang about five stands in historically good places throughout the year, and then I always start off running and gunning, and I don't know what it is, but I just like doing it more. I like being mobile way more than sitting in stands because I feel that every year the pattern changes just enough to where my historically good stands, yes, at some point deer are going to come by those, but Mm -hmm. it's not where they're at at that specific time. You know what I mean? So I I got, I got to be where they're at and being mobile is, you know, and that's, you know, with, with the lone wolf system that I, I've been using for a lot of years, that is, man, it's a game changer for, for a guy who maybe doesn't have a a farm or hunts with other people on their farm or, um, you know, doesn't have permanent tree stands or hell only has one tree stand. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I really enjoy it. Like I said, the first time I went out, you know, it was kind of a daunting task hanging the stand, you know, it, it takes some practice, but it seemed like I said, it seemed like every time I did it, it got a little bit easier. I got a little bit quicker at it. And, you know, now I feel pretty confident that I can be up in a tree within 10 minutes, you know, so right, right. there's, there's definitely a learning curve, but it definitely has its advantages. Yeah. No question absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, congratulations, but Illinois is a two buck state, right? Yeah. I haven't given up yet. So you still, uh, you still going to do some late season hunting? Yeah, that's a plan. I'm hoping it gets real cold and maybe get some snow. I'm hoping maybe to catch something on my food plot, you know, mid to late December, even into January. Right. So that's 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 what I'm hoping for. If not, there's always next year. Hell I got yeah. some good three-year-olds on camera, so. Heck yeah, heck yeah. And that's the best part about hunting, man. There's always next year, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, Levi, man, congratulations on this year. Good luck the rest of the season, man, and uh, um, hopefully we can uh, ha- do this again. Yeah, it's starting to just kind of become a yearly thing where it's kind of like just taking your deer as a taxidermist. You know, I got <laughs> got to talk to Dan Johnson this year, so dude, I always yeah, always welcome. You're always welcome here. I appreciate it, Dan. Good luck to you the rest of the season. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Levi for coming on the podcast again. Congratulations on uh, three deer in three years, man. Sounds like you're on a roll. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time to download and listen to this podcast, man. Please spread the word about the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Man, I am in talks with adding more content to this podcast. to this network uh, via written content, blogs, and podcasts as well. So keep an eye out for that. A lot of big things coming. Huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast, man. Gearhead, Exodus, Wasp, Ripcord, Deer Lab, Bighorn Outfitters, Ozonics, Lone Wolf, and I think that's it. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. And basically what I'm saying is go buy products from them and tell them that I sent you. Uh, And then they continue to work with me. So I'm just being blunt, y'all. All right. 
Guys, go to Facebook. Go to Instagram. Check out the Nine Finger Chronicles. Make sure you guys follow along with that. Make sure you guys are following along on Facebook and Instagram with the Sportsman's Nation, along with all of the other podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network, like Land and Legacy, the DIY Sportsman, and Transition Wild. Like I said, more more podcasts I think are going to be coming here pretty soon. Also, go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave a review. Uh, tell them how freaking awesome I am <laughs> or tell them how much I suck, whatever you want to do. Other than that, guys, please be safe in the timber. Please wear your safety harness because I, I hear shit like this going down every week now. People are falling out and it's because they weren't taking the correct safety precautions. So please wear your damn safety harness. Thank you.